Have you ever wondered if we are alone in the universe? Is there any scientific evidence showing that an intelligent designer created the heavens and the earth? Welcome to Darwin or Design on Tampa Bay's Christian Talk AM 570 and 910. You may have heard about the debate over intelligent design and Darwinism. Find out what the evidence says about the origin of life and mankind, and just what the experts are saying. Darwin or Design, brought to you by the C.S. Lewis Society. Now your host, the author of Doubts About Darwin and Darwin Strikes Back, the research professor of Bible and theology at Trinity College in Trinity, Florida, Dr. Tom Woodward. Welcome to Darwin or Design. Thank you so much for coming alongside and joining us this Saturday afternoon. We hope it's beautiful weather wherever you are here in either Tampa Bay, extended Tampa Bay area, or in other parts of the country where many, many people listen to the internet on bayword.com. You can follow us even if you're out of town. Just go to bayword.com and just click on the Listen Live link. I believe it has a picture of me. Does it not? Uh, Bill Carl? There you go. Okay, and thanks so much, Bill Carl, for your technical expertise and for uh, all that you do to, to pilot this ship through Cyberspace. Well, I'm excited. I know we're going to have a great program today. We have an incredible guest. And so we do. I can hardly wait. Yeah, I can't either. And we're going to bring in David Coppage. He is uh, a guy who is on the top of the information food chain. He's feeding all the important information on what's happening on creation, evolution, intelligent design to a literally a world audience through his headline news blog. It's the most important news blog that I consult virtually every day, and I want to let everybody else know that's my secret. So I'm letting my audience in on that secret. We thank our two sponsors, the C.S. Lewis Society, which has been presenting compelling evidence for Christian faith, and not only in the U.S., but around the world for the last 20 years. We're housed at Trinity College. Visit us online at apologetics.org. That's apologetics.org. We specialize in presenting evidence of but not only creation, but the evidence for Christ and his claims. And so we also thank the St. Luke's Cataract and Laser Institute, that wonderful eye care hospital, which really is a network of about five clinics around the Tampa Bay area. You can visit them online at stlukeseye.com. That's stlukeseye.com. They're also uh, reachable through their main office. That's 727 area code 938 We want to thank Dr. Gills and the whole team at St. Luke's. Well, I have in my hand, Bill, a very interesting book. I'm going to just mention it since we're talking to an expert who is working in the field of, uh, let's say, astronomy and space exploration today. Is that not a cool cover of a book? That is. It's awesome. It's the called The Universe 365 Days. And that means for every day of the year, there is a beautiful color photo of a galaxy or the sun. I'll just flip a couple over. There's a oh, little. Oh, that's awesome. Isn't that great? I'm just flipping. I mean, imagine seeing color photos in this kind of big, spectacularly presented page. It's like a, uh, what do you call it? A uh, coffee table book. Well, you know, just to paint the picture for you as you're listening today, mm-hmm. I think we think of space as kind of being black and void mm-hmm. and yet just looking at these pictures of these uh nebula and 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 uh, galaxies, galaxies and things and just the fields. colors and the brilliant light one. and the 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 full spectrum of colors through that it really is uh, it's just i want to uh, hang that one on yeah. my wall oh that's i'd like to have <laughs> wallpaper like that for my whole house i'd well, get this, vertigo yeah well it's awe-inspiring and you can get this online we are not going to be carrying this but as i've been using this for some of our uh, video work i do want to mention there are actually two books there's the universe 365 days and astronomy 365 days they're both authored by the same pair of uh, scientists Nemiroff, and that's spelled with an N-E-M-I-R-O-F-F, Nemiroff and Bonnell. 
well. And I've got uh, originally the one handed to me by one of our supporters at a breakfast we had, and and then I went and got the the universe. So it's astronomy, 365 days, one photo and write up for each day of the year, and then the universe, 365 days. A fantastic Christmas gift, and a and it's an idea. It's a book idea which will lead people in a greater appreciation of the awesomeness, the amazing nature of our creation of the solar system, the galaxies, the stars, and will lead you to just worship uh, the creator as you gaze at the pictures and read the write-ups. We have with us today, as I mentioned earlier, Dave uh, Coppage, who is the son of uh, a fairly well-known author on the creation evolution topic, and he's going to tell about that book that his father wrote. But the son is just, in my view, is just as amazing a writer as the father, because uh, David Coppage is now writing up news from the leading science journals in the world on his news headlines. It's uh, CREV.info if you want to go directly. This is a subset of creationsafaris.com. But uh, I just have found that there's a more direct link. It's CREV.info, CREV.info, and you can just put that on your server and click on it daily to check the latest news. Now, uh, I want to just say that this is, along with evolutionnews.org, in my opinion, this this CREV.info source of information on evidence that supports the intelligent design or the creation uh, concept is the most important source that we can go to each day. Welcome to Darwiner Design, David Coppage. Well, good to be with you, Tom. Thank you so much for all the hard work you do. And uh, I guess it it would be an understatement to say that you have uh, enriched me and thousands, probably tens of thousands of, of people that are interested in this topic all around the world. Tell us about how you got into this particular area of following the news and then writing it up on a regular basis for all of us. Well, it's an interesting story uh, because some of the things the Lord has used the most in my life were not big master plans of my own where I said, I'm going to go into this business or something. Mm -hmm. But uh, you get to a point where something uh, stirs your soul and you see a need and and you think, hey, I could do something. (laughs) And what happened was I work in a scientific environment and there's a, a news group that I regularly visit that they put out where they're... Uh, spewing out all this evolutionary uh, stuff without any commentary, without any uh, dispute about it. And and like I said, my soul was stirred within me one day, and I said, you know, somebody ought to answer this stuff, hmm. because it's just nonsense, a lot of it. And yet, it's put out there as if it's gospel truth. And then I thought, well, you know, I have a a website, and I could probably start a page of my own news articles. There was one particular uh, lecture I heard, in fact, that was so interesting, I thought, wow, people ought to hear this. So I just started um, putting out, you know, a little story a day on this page that I said, what am I going to call it? I'll call it, uh, what, Creation Evolution Headlines. So just which, is a per- which is a perfect title, in my opinion. Go ahead. Good. Mm. Good. And uh, so I started putting this stuff out, and then within... A month or two. And, you know, it's like putting a message in a bottle out in the ocean. You don't know if anybody's ever going to look at it or pick it up. But but then emails started coming back that were just amazing, you know. <laughs> uh, there was this one who said uh, that he was a campus minister at, at colleges, and he said, wow, I just ran across your website and find it to be A plus, superb, a 10, a home run. I run out of superlatives to describe <laughs> it. You know, it goes on and on. Uh, I got this email from a guy who said he was a mountain man in Alaska. 
And he says, wow, unbelievable. And my question is, do you sleep? I'm utterly impressed. You know, all <laughs> these emails start coming in from around the country, and there was one that said, you're amazing, incredible, thorough, indispensable. I could list ten other superlatives. <laughs> oh, that was you, Tom. Uh, yeah, that was me. <laughs> and if you go, yeah, <laughs> but, you I, know, the I mean. The thing was, I didn't put my picture and name on it, and what is exciting about this is that they're not responding mm-hmm. to me because they know me. But they're responding to the content mm-hmm. that I'm providing, which I guess there's a tremendous hunger hunger mm-hmm. for it because the news media are just so sold out to Darwin. And yeah, they and, never question any right. claim that any Darwinist makes. Well, and, and here you know, I'm providing something that's an alternative to that. And let me just jump in and say that as you go into the daily headlines, and you know, I don't know if it's like an average of three or four a week. Sometimes, you know, you'll skip a day, if you're, especially if you're on vacation. I mean, I, if anyone yep. deserves a vacation, you, David Cobbage, <laughs> I hope get a really good vacation because you work so hard, not only in the Scientific Research Center where you're employed, and of course your background, if I remember, is science, right? You have a science yep. degree, and and you're, you come from a scientifically-minded family. I mean, your father, you know, famous author and pioneer in this whole creation evolution area, looking hard at the scientific evidence. And and you come along, um, starting what, about the uh, year 2000 or 1999? Is that the first yeah, year? Yeah, late 2000, eight, wow. just eight years ago. Wow. And, you know, and my only, I was going to say, you know, I think we, those of you that listen to Darwin or Design on a regular basis, number one, if you haven't visited Crev, C-R-E-V dot info, go there today or go there tomorrow or Monday, let's say, and enjoy, soak in, you know, just you'll love the quality and the amazing quantity of roughly, let's say, an article a day uh, where you, David Coppage, read the technical articles or at least skim them and read the, the key sections and then report to us some of this, you know, information we might not ever hear about. We might not ever have a chance to latch on to a major discovery. Tell us, as we get ready for our first break in about two and a half minutes, just tell us what is one of your favorite or two of your favorite headlines from the last, let's say, year or so. What, what, what would you say is really exciting? Oh, well, it's hard to answer that because I forget what I write within a few days of it. You know, I'm, I'm always looking into the future. But mm-hmm. I guess uh, I always like uh, learning about the cell. Mm-hmm. And uh, so often biochemistry and molecular biology, those are very abstruse subjects that kind of scare people. But, mm-hmm. And that's why I try to, uh, you know, make it fun and interesting with, uh, you know, analogies and interesting things. Like I started one story uh, just this month saying, your challenge today is to invent a machine that can push a wet noodle through a straw. It can't pull it. First it has to grab the end, then push it through without breaking it. Oh, and there's a catch. The straw has a plug at the far end and a constriction inside. Wow. Give up? Maybe you should watch how cells do it. And then I go into, you know, how they solve this problem by getting protein, unfolded proteins through a membrane. And the machinery involved in these things is phenomenal. Mm. I, I mean, I don't see how any self-respecting Darwinist can believe that these things just happened. Well, we're listening uh, to a great conversation with uh, David Coppage. He is the author and director of uh, just a simply incredible website 
uh, you can most directly access it as uh, crevcrev.info. And I have consulted this website virtually every day, you know, let me say three or four times a week. It's at the top of my list uh, of, uh, you know, websites that are feeding me information as I help and teach in this area. We're going to be right back with some of the most important and, to me, compelling questions related to upcoming uh, increasing, you know, decay and and falling down on the Darwinian side of the uh, evidence. And we'll be right back on Darwin or Design. Welcome back to Darwin or Design on Tampa Bay's Christian Talk, AM 570 and 910 WTBN. Once again, here's the host of Darwin or Design, Dr. Tom Woodward. Welcome back to an exciting conversation I'm having with David Coppage. David Coppage is the director of both a website, creationsafaris.com, and he's also the, more importantly for our program today, he is the founder and daily author, writer, uh, overseer of an incredible news blog. It's a, um, it's a source that is like a in, limitless gold mine of information on cutting edge, latest, latest, latest information on the science discussion, on astronomy and physics, all the way into the cellular world, as we've been talking about. And so biology is covered, physics is covered, geology is covered, you name it. If it's science, David Coppich covers it on his daily news blog. Uh, David, I want to ask you a couple questions related to this, the area of detecting poor reasoning or detecting illogic, detecting, let's say, uh, bogus arguments. And of course, that can happen to us. We, as let's say Christians or creation believers, uh, can sometimes fall into the trap of using bad argumentation. And of course, evolutionists are not immune, and they're often sometimes using baloney or poor argumentation in a, in a way that is amazing. And I think that you got this idea of a baloney detector from Phil Johnson, who got it from Carl Sagan. Tell us a little bit about what is baloney detecting or the baloney detector, and how do you, you know, use it on your website? Well, you're right, Tom. Uh, Philip Johnson referred to uh, tuning up your baloney detector in his book, Defeating Darwinism by Opening Minds. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and he was referring back to a phrase Carl Sagan had used. I'm not sure if he was the first to use it. But uh, anyway, it's the idea of reading something or listening something and finding the logical flaws or propaganda tactics that are at work. And there's, uh, that's a tremendous skill to develop. Uh, I first ran across these when I took a freshman speech class in college, and we were uh, learning in persuasive uh, speaking tactics how not to use these things. Mm -hmm. And yet you see these things everywhere. I mean, you see them in advertising, you see them on billboards, you see them uh, in the news, and it's very good for us all to sharpen our baloney-detecting skills. So I added to the headline site a baloney-detector link where you can go to a page, and it shows you how all these... Uh, a list of all these tactics and how they're used with with examples. Well, can, and a lot of can, people can you give us that a, really helpful. Yeah. In fact, uh, there's a homeschooling mob that, mom that was going to make that part of her curriculum for mm-hmm. <laughs> for five kids. Um, and so, but this is good not only for when you're reading scientific articles, but just for general life. I mean, it sharpens your mind. It reduces your fear of intimidation, and you can avoid logical traps that can make you look foolish in your own speaking or writing. And, uh, you know, you can learn how to answer cults. You can be a better speaker, uh, voter, debater, uh, improve your conversational skills. If you learn these, uh, these tricks of the trade and, and the, uh, 
the tricks that the opponents use. And of course, this is really kind of uh, close to my heart, near and dear to my heart and, and ministry, because I'm trained in the area of rhetoric, which is the skill of argumentation, the use of reasons for people to change their mind or their attitude about some matter out out there in the world. And so I really glommed on. I mean, I really seized upon your baloney detector uh, model or, or teaching ministry here. Let me just throw something out. I mean, some people have said, well, Michael Behe and all of his arguments for irreducible complexity are tinged with religious motivations. After all, he's a Christian or after all, he goes to church. I, and as Behe has said himself, you know, Michael uh, Behe in some of his lectures has said, you know, I've been accused of uh, having poor arguments because I've been seen entering and leaving churches. Now, uh, what kind of fallacy would you uh, peg that as, or what kind of uh, bogus or baloney argument is that? Well, it's a couple of things. It's, uh, it's ad hominem. For one thing, it's against the man instead of the argument. Okay. You know, you're supposed to be listening to what his argument is, not, right. not that. And then it's also association where... Uh, if you think that your audience is, not, is going to be hostile to religion, well, you want to tie your opponent to religion. See? Mm-hmm. And so there's, that association is made. Gotcha. And uh, it's also sidestepping the argument instead of answering it. And also, couldn't it be poisoning the well? Because you're just yeah, saying something well, negative exactly. about the guy that will affect his arguments or the way you perceive That's right. it. Okay. You're well, trying to preempt his argument by that association. By the way, that is exactly what Richard Dawkins said in a lecture, I believe it was at Indiana University, attended by our um, you know, friend and author, Jim Sire. Jim Sire went to the microphone and said, well, what do you think about Michael Behe's arguments? And so uh, Dawkins stood there and he says, well, you know, Behe is a Christian. And he kind of paused for four seconds to let that sink into his, I guess, anti-Christian biased audience. And then he proceeded to you know, do, give another slap or two. So I'm thinking that, you know, if leading Darwinists are using poor argumentation tactics, I mean, to me, it shows they're, they're in something of, a, of an uncritical, that is, you know, they're not critical about their own quality of argumentation. That's right. Okay. And, uh, you know, they, they often uh, try to just ridicule you and call you names. And, uh, in fact, I got this email. I don't get too many really hostile emails, but I got one who was, talking about my lamentable ignorance and brainless articles and how ignorance to believe in such fairy tales and evolution is as well established as gravity you know the flat earth society don't you i mean all this all this ridicule and bombast uh coming at me <laughs> but not one thing answering any of the scientific claims or arguments i made wow and of course you know your part of your skill in not only writing but responding to bombast like that comes from having been raised in a home where I guess we could say that there was a, a not only a Christian uh, belief and, and well-thought-out Christian faith, but there was a love of science. Tell us about your father and about his book and where we could even see it. Uh, yeah, my, my father was uh, had several lifetimes in one, uh, a man of many talents, and uh, he actually was a pastor and youth leader for years and hmm. ran a very successful youth center, but he got very interested in science. In fact, he got very, uh, his soul was stirred within him, if you remember that uh, reference, uh, when I brought back home my uh, high school biology textbook. And this was, you know, right after uh, Sputnik and their push for science. And, uh, and he saw that, that this book was just filled with evolutionary dogma, and there was not even a hint that anybody ever believed anything else. Mm. And he said he stayed up all night just 
getting aggravated about about that, and he said, somebody has got to be able to answer these things in a credible way that, uh, that makes sense and, and connects. And he said uh, he decided he could do that, and he went back to graduate school and got pretty close to the equivalent of a Ph.D. in biochemistry. Wow. And, and he wrote this book called uh, Evolution Possible or Impossible. He actually had a different title for it, but you know publishers, they sort of pick your titles for you sometimes. Mm-hmm. But anyway, uh, this was a book about the cell and DNA and some of the new discoveries. And, and he was showing that uh, there's no way anywhere in the universe you could ever get a living cell, let, I mean a protein molecule or a DNA gene by chance. And his illustrations are so uh, mind-boggling that they're extremely convincing. Wow. Well, I mean, the, uh, I've, I've, I must confess, I haven't read his book in its entirety. I've looked at it. It's in our library. I've salivated over it. There's probably drops of Woodward saliva in front of that shelf there. Uh, Bill <laughs> is a little yuck. Bit, yeah, yuck. Anyway, but uh, I, I want to just really emphasize that this book is very, very strategic and timeless. And uh, people can go to what your website and see it and read yeah, it. Yeah, there's a link to it on the right hand column. And one other good thing about the book is that it doesn't age. Uh, it doesn't get out of date uh, at all because, well, I mean, there's been a few things that we've discovered, but the cell was so complex when he first wrote this book, and the first edition was like 1972, but mm-hmm. uh, we've learned so much since then that it's even more complex, and so it just reinforces the argument. Right, right. In other words, everything we've we've learned from further research in the cell just enhances the power of that original argument. Let me just, uh, as we have a, just about three minutes left, two and a half here, uh, I want to just ask you a little bit more about the, um, the puzzle that scientists seem to, uh, the more the evidence mounts up against the neo-Darwinian synthesis, the scientists working in that synthesis seem to hunker down more and more and plug their ears more and more. What's going on here in your view? Uh, I don't know. I, maybe there's a, a secret doubt deep in their soul that, uh, that they're wrong? I'm not sure, uh, because the arguments are very powerful from the intelligent design side, and, and so rarely do they really face them head on. It's more just with, with fluff and anger and hot air that mm. they come at it. But there's, there's power in the bandwagon, you know, and, and evolution is on the bandwagon right now, and they've got this huge power base of all the scientific institutions and all the media and all this money, and I think a lot of careers are on the line. So, you know, maybe we need to just follow the money. Yeah. I've, I've been saying in some of my writing, and I appreciate the fact that you've taken time to read uh, both Doubts About Darwin, my first book, and the sequel, Darwin Strikes Back. I've tried to show that there is a sociological factor, a web, a network of human relationships where sometimes the scientific evidence, you know, if it's if it's cloudy or murky one way or the other, that really is not the key. It's like, you know, I want to re- remain, you know, who I am, what I am with the status that I am, uh, that I have. And if I don't, you know, stay or in, the, in line with the party line, my career is going to be damaged. I think that we've seen that from Expelled. Wouldn't you agree? It just oh, about yes. Uh, and individual Darwinists have a lot to lose. They realize that, you know, they're not going to have the uh, welcome... Uh, Handshakes at the uh, 
at the bar or at the uh, parties, mm-hmm. <laughs> if they were to abandon their belief in evolution, I mean, it would it would literally end their career. And when they walk in the, as it were, the faculty club, <laughs> other professors yeah. might turn their backs. Well, let me let me just leave it at that for uh, the sociological side, and we're going to come back with some hard hitting science. We're going to talk about uh, a little bit on astronomy, but I want to go deeper into this area of the just the deterioration the incipient collapse of the Darwinian paradigm that we see gathering steam, which is very exciting, and of course it's rooted in the evidence that's coming out right now. You're listening to my conversation with David Coppedge out in California, where he is authoring the Creation Evolution headlines at crev.info. I'm Tom Woodward. We'll be right back with more on Darwin or Design. Welcome back to Darwin or Design on Tampa Bay's Christian Talk, AM 570 and 910 WTBN. Once again, here's the host of Darwin or Design, Dr. Tom Woodward. Welcome back to our discussion and our conversation with David Coppedge. We have him on the line in California, and we're talking about the latest news, the latest headline news that is touching on the credibility of the creation argument or the creation concept versus the uh, contrary argument that nature has done all the work on its own, that nature, the, the forces and the powers, the laws of nature working through random action and chance and time have just done some amazing, spectacular creating. And we do want to thank our sponsors, the C.S. Lewis Society, uh, a Christian ministry organization based at Trinity College uh, up in Newport Ritchie, which has been presenting compelling evidence for Christian faith for now 20 years. Contact us at apologetics.org. The uh, email address actually is information, spell out the whole word, information at apologetics.org. We also want to thank Dr. Gills and his whole team of of physicians at St. Luke's Cataract and Laser Institute helping you to uh, really figure out and to solve any of your health problems, especially in eye care. You can reach them at uh, 727-938-2020, and they'll be glad to help you with any need you might have in that area. We do thank also, of course, David Coppedge for joining us. Uh, He is uh, enjoying a little bit of a rest here at his home in California. He works hard at two jobs. Uh, his, uh, You might say his main day job is working hard at a research facility uh, dealing with astronomy. And uh, he is also uh, on his time, uh, what spare time he has, and he uses a lot of it for the second job. He is creating a news source for all of us on the issues of creation and evolution. Crev.info, C-R-E-V.info is the best way to access that news blog. I consult it virtually every day. I get excited. Uh, David, I don't know how many times I've sat at the computer, read your update, you know, your morning update, whatever time I get to it, and I just sit there and I go, wow. And let me just say thank you for not only giving the information, the summary, and the quotes from the article that you're referring to, but also your little green print uh, editorial. I know you kind of let down your hair and express uh, more of your, I guess, emotion or passion in those uh, little editorials at the end. But thank you for doing all this hard work for all of us. Well, I think that's one of the unique things about my site. And there are some other good uh, creation news sites and magazines. And, uh, you know, don't want to at all uh, disparage them and the great job they're doing. But I, I think that what I do that's different uh, is a couple of things. One is I try to separate the news from the commentary so that 
you know when I'm just sort of speaking um, my own mind, and you know what the news article is. And uh, so I, I have what I call color commentary like in green print. Yes. And also I uh, feel free to add some humor in there. So mm-hmm. I try to make it a lot of fun and throw in some, uh, some uh, puns and new words I make up and uh, characters and, and jokes, even a silly song here or there. Yeah. And so it's kind of, I try to make it fun and lively and entertaining to read as well. Yeah. Um, I was going to mention about uh, rhetoric. We were talking about the baloney detector, and rhetoric is a great thing. I mean, it's a, a wonderful thing. It's, a, it's one of the classical skills that yes. every uh, student was trained uh, back in the ancient uh, world and in the Middle Ages. But rhetoric is one of those neutral things where it can be used for good or bad. Now, when it's on a foundation of truth, it's a powerful Thing, to use the art of persuasion and and uh, persuasive speech and colorful speech to get a point across, but right. but it can be just empty rhetoric, and that's what we usually think of when we hear the term. So I, I think it's a uh, pretty uh, interesting that you're a PhD in the philosophy of, of scientific or, or the rhetoric of science, excuse me, mm-hmm. uh, which is a, a really fascinating field that you discuss in both of your books, uh, doubts about Darwin and Darwin Strikes Back. I hope you found them helpful. Oh, tremendous. They're, they're great books. I'd recommend them to, to everyone. And what's, what's so unique about your writing these is that you were an eyewitness to so many of the uh, meetings, and, and you know so many of these people personally. And so you're uniquely qualified to write these books on the history of the intelligent design movement. Well, it was you know unique that when I began teaching at Trinity College just 20 years ago uh, last month, I was... <laughs> Just being introduced to Phil Johnson through a common friend, uh, actually uh, Fritz Schaefer, this world-renowned chemist now teaching at the University of Georgia, saw a review I did of uh, the book by Michael Denton, Evolution, Theory, and Crisis. It was published in a science journal uh, put out by the American Scientific Affiliation. I think you've heard of them. Yes. And, uh, and the ASA journal had never covered uh, Denton's bombshell critique of Darwinian evolution. I'm thought this this is crazy. So I wrote up a, a, my own critique, included quotes from responses to to his book around the world. Well, Fr- Fritz Schaefer sent that review to Phil Johnson, and Johnson basically looked at my review and said, "Boy, Woodward must have a real file on Denton. That's the same book that uh, ignited my interest in the subject." So he contacted me, and within a matter of months, uh, let's say in 1989-90, I was pulled into this group. I was the only non-PhD in the group. So I was the, if you will, the observer, the fly on the wall at all these meetings. I got a free ticket uh, given to me by Dave Warehouser, the lumber uh, tycoon up in Washington State. And so I was privileged to be able to, you know, meet these guys before there even was an intelligent design movement as they were struggling to make the case and, and to their peers in the scientific world that the evidence was compelling for a designer. Now, as we're getting into this area of evidence for design, give us just a tick off three, maybe three or four of the most powerful trends in evidence that you think make it a really clear that that nature doesn't have the power to do what we see, uh, with the, the, the complexity we find in nature? Well, I think that uh, when you look at the complexity of life, that certainly is one of the, the strong points. I mean, evolutionary uh, theorists are clueless when it comes to explaining the complexity of the cell. And what, what you find them doing is just making up stories out of thin air. That, and they, they assume evolution. And so you find, even in this 
in the uh, prestigious scientific papers, you find them using like, well, this thing arose or this thing emerged. You know, they use these miracle words without any explanation of how that could happen by the laws of chance or the laws of nature. It's like a Rudyard Kipling just so story. Exactly, and I use that phrase often because it's it's just pernicious and pervasive throughout evolutionary literature. So the complexity of the cell, also the fact that the fossil record does not uh, show evolution. It shows the sudden appearance of completely uh, formed animals. I mean, you have the Cambrian explosion we talk about and, and how it's not like there was some gradual lead-up to the first trilobite. It's that a fully formed trilobite appears. with, And that's a complex animal with, with compound eyes and jointed appendages and all these organs. And, uh, you know, it's just amazing how all, all of these things appear abruptly in the record, and then most of them remain relatively stable, and then they disappear, some of them. They go extinct. And you know what? not evolution. What struck me about reading your blog over the last six months especially, I mean, I noticed a pattern where over and over very, very complex uh, classes of species or or orders or or even, let's say, um, you know, phyla appear lower and lower. In other words, modern jellyfish. I think there was, you had an article about out in Utah they published that modern-looking jellyfish, uh, lo and behold, it's right there in the Cambrian. And, yes, and, and that co- happens often, where something is found that's like 30 million years, 50 million years older than they thought, you know, using their own timeline. And, 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 what, and so that just pushes the problem back, because now there, there weren't any ancestors before, and there's, now there's less time for there to be a chain of missing links. And the comb jellies, you had an article, which I, we actually have a, on, posted on our website now, comb jellies, which I didn't even know what <laughs> comb jellies were, but I looked up uh, you know, the information on it. They appear much earlier in the fossil record than, than was thought earlier. So what we're seeing is uh, this uh, pattern is accentuated, right, of explosive sudden appearance followed by stasis. That's right. So the, the fossil record, where you would expect to find the best evidence for evolution, does not show it. And, you know, what they try to do is hype a, a few putative missing links, like this Tiktaalik thing that was supposed to be the first tetrapod. And, mm-hmm. and there was, you know, they, they find what they call feathered dinosaurs. I just had a, my latest article was on that subject. And, but, you know, they're few and far between compared to the plethora of complex animals that appear suddenly without any ancestors. And we might even add that the uh, summary of all this evidence, the spectacular documentary summary, is going to be published, from what I understand, within the next six or eight months, called The Cambrian Explosion by the same people out, uh, out of the Illustria Media Group in California, which I believe you know those people personally. Uh, yes, actually, I'm on the board of that, Illustria Media. I don't fantastic. do much of the work, but uh, it's a real pleasure to serve with them. and. And I highly recommend their films on intelligent design. Could Unlocking you? the Mystery of Life okay. is a classic, of course, and Privileged Planet. And now we'll round out the trilogy with the Cambrian Explosion, hopefully by next summer. That's great. Well, we're excited to have on the phone with us uh, Mr. David Coppage. He uh, has degrees in science. He works at a science research lab uh, out in the western half of the U.S. He is a cutting edge, besides his own work in the field of science, he is a cutting edge monitor reader and writer of headline news in the creation evolution topic his blog 
I would say is the most important blog I go to every day, or if or it may be tied with evolutionnews.org run by the Discovery Institute. We're going to come back and talk a little bit more about the scientific evidence that's building up. I'm, I've reserved some of my favorite questions to ask David on this topic of scientific evidence, and we're going to get into the spiritual ramifications. In other words, so what if there is a God? If there is a God, can you know him personally? Is there a purpose for our life? And how do you know for sure that the God, that the Bible, that Christian uh, theology and the Christian, um, you know, scriptures talk about is the real creator and is the redeemer of all mankind? That's a key question, and I'm going to see if I can probe David Coppage's ideas and thoughts on that as well. You're listening to Darwin or Design, and we'll be right back after a quick break. Welcome back to Darwin or Design on Tampa Bay's Christian Talk, AM 570 and 910 WTBN. Once again, here's the host of Darwin or Design, Dr. Tom Woodward. Thank you so much for joining us on Darwin or Design. We come to you each week uh, through the support of both the C.S. Lewis Society, presenting compelling evidence for Christian faith on college campuses around the world, and also St. Luke's Cataract and Laser Institute bringing you excellent health care, especially for eye problems, eye situations and conditions. But excellence with love truly embodies what they're doing at this fantastic health center in Tarpon Springs, but also with about five other centers all over Tampa Bay. Call them at 727-938-2020. Dr. Gills and his whole wonderful team will be able to help you with any concern you may have. Now, we want to get right back to our inter- interaction with David Coppage, who is one of my heroes. I say that with uh, due deliberation. He is a science journalist. He is a science um, encyclopedia who not only just – he doesn't just hog the information up in his head. He presents it daily, almost every day virtually, through the CREV.info, the most important science blog that anybody can consult on this critical, important, supremely important area of creation or evolution. David, uh, let me just get back to a kind of a sensitive topic. It, I think you and I share this sensitivity because so many people have read a book by Francis Collins uh, called Language of God. And I've read uh, most of it. I don't know if you've had a chance to, to read it, but I think you're aware of it. I'm aware of it. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Francis Collins, a very world-renowned Christian who is also a scientist. He's the uh, former. He just recently uh, announced his retirement from the Human Genome Project. But I think he's led that very important agency of genetic research for the U.S. government for about, I don't know, 15, 18 years. And he is a strong, outspoken evangelical Christian. He quotes C.S. Lewis in the opening chapters of his book, tells how he you know journeyed from atheism to biblical Christian belief. But in his chapter on intelligent design, I, was, I thought it was tragic because he tries to bash intelligent design. He tries to support what he calls the biologos or biologos, uh, the theistic evolution notion that God worked through evolution. And I thought his his bashing or his his attack on intelligent design was of extremely poor quality. I'd give him a D minus uh, as as a, maybe a, 
of a gift I mean, uh, where I'd be inclined to flunk him because the research contained in that chapter, uh, Francis Collins' bashing of intelligent design was of, uh, I would say, abysmal quality. It's very, very old stuff. He didn't take any time to acquaint himself with the newest stuff. If someone came to you and say, well, Francis Collins is the smart, smartest Christian I know. He's the most well-informed, biologically well-informed Christian I know. And he says, God created through evolution. So there, what would you say to someone who said something like that? Well, I, I think it's helpful there to understand some things about uh, the philosophy of science. And I have found personally this to be a very helpful area to study because uh, so many scientists, they know nothing about the philosophy of science. Uh, you know, they, they take all these science courses and they may know how to sequence a genome uh, perfectly, but they don't know what is science and what is evidence and what is a scientific explanation. And you find it's very, very difficult uh, to pin any of those things down. And there's plenty of examples through the history of science where the whole consensus was all one way, but they were wrong. And so, uh, you know, I don't question Francis Collins's motives or his judgment. You know, he, he's certainly an esteemed scientist, but I think that like many others, he has probably been taught that evolution is a scientific fact, mm-hmm. and he's heard just that one side driven into him through all his schooling, and that's what all his colleagues believe. And so you get this idea that, well, intelligent design is outside the consensus. So it must be evil. It must be wrong. Mm-hmm. And rather than studying it and listening to it, there's just this uh, knee-jerk reaction to it. Well, I noticed that in his article, I mean, his uh, chapter of, the, of his book, The Language of God, where he deals with intelligent design, he uses some pretty uh, flamboyant rhetoric on his own. He calls intelligent design as a sinking ship. In other words, the same rhetoric that I'm using in my book, uh, Dar- Doubts About Darwin, Darwinism is a sinking ship. He turns around, no, no, you're, you know, your new theory is a sinking ship. So it's like the, the battle of the, of the supposed sinking ships. And, I, and, and if anything, I find the, the evidence for design overwhelmingly compelling over just the last four years of added information. Well, and, it's disingenuous for him to say that because intelligent design is already used in science. I mean, it's used in cryptography, and it's used in archaeology, and even the SETI Institute is employing design principles. I have several interesting articles on that where I catch them using intelligent design principles in, the, in their belief, that, in their materialistic belief, that there's a way to detect intelligence from a signal in outer space, even if you don't know the source. Wow. So, uh, <laughs> well, speaking... so ID is already being used in science. It's just that they don't want to apply the same logic and the same principles to biology. Wow. Your work on the creation evolution headlines, which, of course, I've always told my students that they can access it by going to creation safaris and looking for the little flames leaping up on the upper left-hand page and then clicking on the creation evolution headlines on the just below the flickering flames. But now there's the, uh, as of today, I have, I'm liberated, Bill Carl, crev.info. There you go. Bill, you need to put that on your little uh, yeah, server and check at least once a week. That's okay, your, that, you got it. That's, that's your assignment. my new assignment. That's your assignment. Crev.info, and it's the best, the most completely, um, you know, covering all the bases, all branches of science, the latest information. And I'm talking about uh, David Coppage boils down and summarizes information from even the technical journals. If anything, I think you tend to um, lean a little bit more to boiling down and reporting what we would never hear about from these technical journals. And I know you've gotten feedback from around the world, as many people have kind of learned about Crev.info. Give us some of that feedback. Well, I prefer uh, going to the journals, like you say, because I like going to the source. And I, 
I feel that we as Christians shouldn't be attacking straw men. We should, you know, go after the Goliath on the other side. And if you can beat Goliath, then you have something to boast about. But, mm. but if you're just uh, attacking, uh, you know, like the typical blogger who, who just uh, lets off steam, that's not, mm-hmm. I think, quite as effective. Right. But uh, anyway, yes, the, the, what I find with the journals is that it's, it gets watered down by most of the uh, popular media and, and misrepresented a lot of times. Mm. The claims, the evolutionary claims are a lot weaker when you go to the original source. So that's what I like to do. But yeah, I get the most amazing emails from all over, um, all over the country and all over the world and mm. people from all different walks of life, like teachers and Here's an Air Force Academy graduate. A, a newspaper editor in Wyoming says, finding your site was as great as a gold mine. He said, we're pretty isolated. And, he's, and she said, uh, she reads it daily. The town is, the local school board is all Darwinist, she says. Uh, biology major, now a father of college student, says, what can I say? I love you. I read you almost every day. Thank you, thank you, thank you. He says four times. <laughs> and uh, a molecular biologist in Illinois uh, praises it uh, a pastor in Virginia, there was a Bible college professor who's using it for his students. And uh, a webmaster in the Ukraine is translating it into Russian now. And there's wow. In Spain translating it, some of my articles into uh, Spain, Spanish, and then into Dutch also. Um, I get uh, letters from scientists and just normal people and engineers. And that must, that must encourage your heart. That must give you a little uh, uh, jolt that all this hard work you're doing is, is, is having some good. It's really a terrific time, and in fact, this was kind of a dream of my father was to try to get word out, but that was in the days of newspapers and magazines, and, and you know, it, now with the internet, it's just incredible. I can write something, put it up there, and within a minute, somebody in Japan can be reading it. I mean, imagine the potential of this. Wow. We, we know that the internet is used a lot for bad things, and, you know, but... But the potential to reach people around the world is just phenomenal right now, and mm-hmm. it, it blows me away. Well, I am so encouraged. If you were to give one just piece of advice to a young person entering the Darwin Design fray today, or two, maybe two pieces of advice, just real quick in about a minute, what would you say? Well, I would say learn some things about the philosophy of science and what, what can really be claimed from evidence and what cannot is a helpful thing. Mm. And I would also say um, get really firmly grounded in the big picture questions. I call them the upstream questions because, you know, the way the water flows uh, either side of a mountain, it's going to go downstream in that direction. And so answer the big questions about chance or design first and get really settled on that. Can we explain this universe? Can we explain life by chance and the laws of nature or can we not? And your answer to that determines all the downstream questions. You're, You're no longer considering evolutionary materialistic explanations if you are convinced in your mind that you're not going to get a finely tuned universe or a living cell by, by chance, mm-hmm. you see. Yep. And then that can really ground you and give you that confidence when you go and hear the evolutionary rhetoric in science classes uh, to be able to endure it. But I would say if you're headed for a degree in science, you need to be very discreet these days because the, uh, the Darwinists have a lot of power and they can destroy careers. And, uh, you know, you just have to seek the leading of the Lord, whether you admit your beliefs or not. I think you should go through the system to learn, Mm -hmm. uh, to get the credentials that you need. But some people might be led of the Lord to challenge it. And I would encourage students, maybe who don't have anything to lose, maybe they're not going into a career in science, to be willing to ask questions of the teachers and do it nicely and be polite and let your teacher know you're there to learn and not just to cause trouble. Mm -hmm. But 
but I think we can have an effect by asking the right questions. That was the title of one of Philip Johnson's books that I thought was very Yes, effective. yes, very important to ask the right questions. And I'm, I have one more question to ask of you, speaking of the right questions. That is, what does it really boil down to in terms of spiritual relevance? In other words, creation is great. I, I get excited. You get excited about the, the burgeoning evidence for a master designer of all this cellular complexity, this massive DNA genome. But we see in John chapter 1 that there is a kind of a pivot. I mean, John seems to pivot on in the beginning was the word or intelligence or rationality and or information. And he says in the beginning word and the word became flesh. That is, God didn't just leave uh, us hanging as to, you know, who was the creator. He became one of us. If someone said, oh, how can you buy this Christian line? It's just an old story. What would you say to someone about, you know, what Christianity really says about the way to God and why you believe it? Well, unlike the other religions of the world, which are just basically speculations out of someone's mind, the Bible is grounded in history that can be studied. I mean, you can go to the Holy Land and look at the very sites that are mentioned so often. And, mm-hmm. and Christ walked in Jerusalem, and, and uh, these events happened with many eyewitnesses. It was a joy two years ago for me to, to travel to the Holy Land and to walk around Jerusalem and to just think about that these things happened right here in a, a place you can visit and touch and see. And so the evidence for Christ, you approach that the same way you would scientific evidence or historical evidence. And, and I find that it, it all connects. And so when it says the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, it's talking about something that, that can be verified and we can have confidence in. Wow. And of course, even I, I, I would like to quote the, um, the professor at Princeton University, Dr. Andrew Bokarsley, who was raised in a Jewish environment. And I have so many great, great friends from my own years at Princeton uh, who are um, Jewish. But he was challenged by a girl in his lab, his chemistry lab at UCLA, before he went on the Princeton faculty. He was an undergrad there, actually. And she asked him to, um, to read Isaiah 53. Wow. And Isaiah 53, of course, he speaks about the Messiah, the, the servant he's called, but he's certainly the Messiah because he's, you know, the, the rulers are bowing to him, so he has to be the Messiah. And the servant is suffering. He's taking our sins, as it were, on his shoulders. It says in uh, Isaiah 53, uh, 6, you know, we all have turned away like sheep. In other words, we've all gone into a sinful rut, but the Lord has laid on him, put on Christ, the, 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 all of our sin. And at the end of that passage, it says he will see his, um, you know, ancestry. He will he will prosper. So it's clear that he's coming back from this suffering that he's uh, had to endure for us. So uh, would you consider the evidence for Christ's resurrection as on a scale of one to ten? I would imagine you see, evidentially speaking, it's a ten. Definitely. Well, thank you so much, David Coppage, uh, author of the Daily News blog, which is mandatory watching and reading uh, for everybody out there who wants to keep track of this incredibly exciting and developing dialogue and debate between Darwin or design. And let me just mention, as as we wind up, that uh, you can call us uh, if you want to reach us and have questions about the spiritual questions or the scientific questions. We would love to engage you in dialogue at apologetics.org. See you next week. 